I have a great announcement to make first, which is that on, in two weeks, we have a very special service happening. Um, we're going to be having an ordination service, and our very own Rolisa Tutwiler, who is an elder and prayer leader and leader in many other ways, is going to be ordained in the vineyard. So, so excited about that. Um, I, let me assure you, she's not going anywhere. She's not going to go somewhere else to do the ministry. She just is, there's a calling on her life to devote her life to ministry in the kingdom and in the vineyard. And so this is the next step that God's calling her to take to be ordained. And so we're thrilled as the board uh, here at Gate City Vineyard to just affirm her ministry, affirm her gifts, and um, ordain her. So that's going to be in two weeks on November 20th. So please do come. It's going to be a special service uh, for her. And let's just, let's just, uh, prepare our hearts for the word with a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for um, this opportunity to gather together as your people, Lord, and we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to what you have for us today. And we open up our minds, our hearts, our souls to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in John 9 today, and I wanted to tell you as an opening story about uh, something I'm doing as part of my continuing growth and education and learning as a part of Greensboro. I'm a part of something called Leadership Greensboro this year, which some of you may be uh, familiar with. It's um, run by the Chamber of Commerce of Greensboro. It's a year-long cohort of 45 people who are selected different leaders in different parts of the community of Greensboro. So it's not a church thing. It's not a Christian thing. It's, it's for the, town, the, the city of Greensboro. There are people there from business, there's leaders from the government, from education, a lot of the different colleges are represented, a few nonprofits, and one little church, which is us, me. Um, I'm the only uh, pastor there, Um, but it has been a really wonderful opportunity to get to know some other people in the community. We'll be doing a project that will benefit the the city of Greensboro in some way, so I don't know what my project is yet, but it's kind of a, a, a thing that we're doing that I I'm so excited about it. I'm thankful for this church for sponsoring me to do this and putting my name forward um, and that I get the opportunity to do it. So it's been really wonderful uh, getting to know some really interesting people, getting to know the city of Greensboro in a, in a deeper way. So it's been great. And last week we had a session where we got together for a couple days. We did some leadership development. We get some feedback, uh, different things. And one of the little exercises they had us do as a team-building exercise <coughs> was that they had us get into three different groups or two different groups. So we were a group of maybe 20 to 25 people in our group, and we had to sit in a circle in chairs. So we had all sitting, facing each other in the chairs, and then we all had to put on blindfolds. So they gave us all blindfolds. And then look at Vicky's laughing. <laughs> She's like, finally. So, um, yeah, Vicky would have been great at this game, by the way, because we were terrible at it. So everyone was handed a couple of plastic shapes, and they were weird shapes with points and circles and holes in them and things like that. We were each given two, and they told us that two were missing from the set. So, you know, we all had a couple, two or three each, and then there was two missing from the set. And so the, the team-building exercise was to figure out, without looking at it, what was missing, which part, which piece was missing. So we had to use all of our other senses. Like I said, Vicky would have been great at it. We were terrible at it because... To try to describe a weird shape, you know, when you can't look at it, we even had to figure out color, which we could ask some questions of the leader for that. But anyway, so it was just really hard, and so it was very humorous, actually, to hear people describing things. They'd be like, well, it's kind of like a little man with two hands, but not a foot, and then two heads, and, you know, like, and then someone else, like, it's like two crescent moons coming together, and, you know, a circle. And so all these, we're so terrible at describing them, and the funniest part about it 
was when we finally took off our blindfolds and looked at the pieces in front of us, they looked nothing like what we thought they looked like. And, and, and the two that were, one was a crescent thing and one was a little man, they were the same piece, but two people described them completely differently. And so it kind of just shows you that when we are taking away our sight in some way, it is hard to get a real view of what the thing really is that we're holding, especially if we're not used to that. And so this message today and this, this miracle that we're going to be talking about today is really about, is about our sight, but not our physical sight. It's about the sight of our heart, because if we have, are spiritually blind, we also have a distorted view of what things are, what life is all about, and that's really what this message today is about. And so we're in John 9. This is one of the great miracles of John. If people know a few miracles, they often will know this one. It's when the man who was born blind is given his sight. It's the sixth sign. Remember, we're in the book of signs, which is the first half of John. And so this is the sixth one. And remember that John, what do we know about John? He tends to give us signs that are theologically significant. It's not that Jesus only did seven miracles. Of course, he did many more miracles than that. But John has pulled out these particular seven miracles to show us because they are very theologically significant. So, so as we remember, if we looked at the turning water into wine at the wedding, the very first miracle he did to, to, to sort of start off his ministry was to remind us that there's going to be a wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of time. We're going to have a, an abundance of food and drink, and it's going to be a feast and a wedding of the Lamb. So that we're meant to be reminded of. We, we saw the account of the woman at the well, which is not so much a miracle, but as a moment where God encounters this woman in Samaria, and she happened to be where? Anybody remember the city where she was? Shechem. She's in Shechem, which we found out was actually a very significant place where the covenant promises were given, and the Messiah was predicted, and all of that took place in that one one location in Shechem, and so that's where that story is from. And then we also learned a couple weeks ago about the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, right? When Jesus multiplied the loaves and fed all these people, but what kind of loaves were they? Anybody remember? Barley loaves. Why is that important? It's important because the Elisha in the Old Testament, who was a great prophet, multiplied barley loaves to feed people. And so it was, again, pointing that Jesus is the true prophet. He is the prophet to come. So all of these stories, all of these signs point to the, the significance of Jesus. Today is another one of those signs that points to the significance of Jesus. And it's all about the, 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 the miracle is not necessarily about the man seeing. I mean, it's a great miracle from that standpoint for that man. But, but Jesus is making a much bigger point and it's about spiritual sight. If we go to the end of the story, after the man was healed, after he was questioned by the Pharisees, the Pharisees end up throwing him out. This little exchange takes place, and interestingly, in my Bible, it has a little heading that says spiritual blindness. And so this is what this whole story, as we're going to unpack it, is about. John 9, 35 to 41. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, this is the man he had healed, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So Jesus is making it clear that the blindness he came to remove is not primarily a physical blindness, but it's a blindness of the soul. 
And so this is why he came, to be a light, to open our eyes to him, to take away our spiritual blindness. And so we're going to look at that as we look at this miracle today. Now, the first thing we want to notice is the actual physical miracle, because it was a pretty remarkable physical miracle. Let's read John 9, 1 to 12. It says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is this day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Great miracle. A couple really important things to know about this actual miracle that took place. First of all, Jesus is showing us how to understand sickness and healing. He's really giving us a teaching here. See, the disciples in that day assumed, like anyone would have in that day, that if someone was born with any kind of disability at all, deaf, blind, whatever, something physical, if there was a miscarriage, if there was no children, if it was infertility, any of that was a sign that God was displeased with you. That's what they would have assumed in that day, that there was something wrong, you must have sinned, you must have done something wrong to have this terrible thing happen to you. Now, it sounds barbaric to us now, right? Of course, that's not the case. But that, is, that was the mindset of that time, and it actually creeps into our mindset a little bit even today. I talked a few weeks ago about the sort of name it and claim it movement where there's a, there's a sense that, that floods through that, that sort of thinking that says, well, if you would have had more faith you would have been healed. You must not have had enough faith or you would have been healed. And that's kind of implying, you know, you, you are not quite right with God yet. And once you're right with God, then it's all going to come to be. So that's, that's actually a similar feeling that they had in those days, that the problem is with this lie, and as this is true of most lies, there is a seed of truth in it. Okay, there are occasionally times when you are struggling with something, and you know darn well it's because of something you did, right? You know that you caused some of your own troubles, right? Sometimes when we misuse our bodies for years and years and years and years, we end up with diseases that are a direct result of us misusing our bodies. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about here? Um, so there are certainly times in which, and Scripture shows us times in which as well, that some of our physical problems, some of our mental problems are sort of from our own making, things we have done, things we have not done. Um, and so that is certainly something we can mostly, most of us can attest to. But it's also true, the fact that our world has disability and suffering and disease is because sin is rampant here. Satan still is the ruler of this world. God is still giving him some play, and sometimes he is able to really do some rough things. Am I right? Cancers that come and disabilities that come and, and, and difficulties that we struggle through that are really of no fault of our own other than that we're humans and live in a fallen world. And so we can't point to one person's sickness or disability and say they must have sin in their life. Numerous cases in the Bible, like Job, Paul, most of the prophets, many of the disciples, suffered and suffered and suffered with disabilities and diseases and problems, and there was no relief for it on this side of heaven for them. So this is a teaching that as vineyard people, we should get right, okay? We should get this. And why is that? It's because we believe in the 
already and the what? And the not yet. What does this mean? We always spout this off. We believe in the already and the not yet. It means that the kingdom of God is already here. Okay, I wasn't like doing calisthenics or anything, right? That is crazy. We're buying new mics, by the way. <laughs> Just so you know. I don't feel like this is really very on, is it? Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, now I can hear it. All right. So vineyard people, the already and the not yet, right? The kingdom of God is already here. When Jesus came, he said the, the kingdom, of, kingdom has come. So that means that his presence and his power is here. And wherever God shows up, it is very likely that he's going to be working. <laughs> he's going to be doing the miraculous. He's going to be healing. He's going to be touching our hearts. He's going to be touching our souls. Many times it's spiritually that he's touching us. I know some of us were touched even just during worship this morning. His presence was here. So the kingdom is here, people, and we can enjoy it and we can pray into it. But also the kingdom is not yet fully here. There's going to come a time when he's going to come through the clouds and he's going to take us all home to him and we're going to be in heaven with Jesus forever and there'll be no more tears and no more crying, no more, no more pain and no more suffering. But we are now in this in-between time when that is not yet the case. And so we understand that sometimes people won't be healed and sometimes people will suffer. But this is what's so important about what Jesus says here. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But why did this happen? This happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. See, whenever there's a reversal of any kind of normal, physical, human, human situation and God intervenes and God works, it is so that God would be glorified, that the works of God would be seen in him. All right? It's not so much for us, although, praise God, we get a little benefit, right? We get, we get some of the benefit, but it's really so that God is glorified. And so let's remember this when we pray for people to be healed and for, for, for suffering to be relieved. We pray, Lord, yes, relieve the suffering, heal, and we believe that you can do it, and we, and we pray that you will do it. But above all, Jesus, would you be glorified in this person's life? Would there be glory, whether there's healing or not, would there be glory and honor given to Jesus? And that's how we pray. And Jesus has given us a little teaching right here in this sign about how to look at sickness and healing. Now, he also shows us that he is Lord over the spiritual world, and I love this as well. He did this odd thing, right? He spat on the ground, picked up the mud, <laughs> spit it, it's all gross, right? Puts it on the guy's eyes, then says, go wash. Why? <laughs> I mean, why all the mess? Why all the fuss? He could have done it a much cleaner way, if you ask me. Um, he certainly did in other times, right? He just said, be healed, and they were healed. And it's actually pretty funny to look this. I was like, okay, I got to look, see what the experts say about this, right? So I looked up a bunch of commentaries on this, and nobody has any idea why he did it this way. <laughs> I mean, some think that maybe they thought that saliva had healing properties, so it's kind of like, you know, oil and you know, so that maybe that helped. But then other people say, no, saliva was actually unclean, so that would have made him less clean, so that doesn't really work. Um, the one I like the best is that it could be that there was a, it was an echo of creation. When God created man, what did he do? He reached down and he got some dirt out of the ground and he formed man. So 
maybe it was a hearkening back to that, Jesus showing himself to be the creator, which is cool. I could go with that. I don't know. But what I love about it is the grittiness of it. I mean, Jesus got his hands dirty. Do you realize what that means? And that means he's ready to get his hands dirty for you and for me. Because our lives are not necessarily clean. Am I right? (laughs) They are messy. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And sometimes we think, oh, God, just don't even, you know, when I get this thing cleaned up, I'll come to you because I'm a mess. You don't know what a mess I am. I have people that won't let me come into their house because their house is messy. For crying out loud, you want to see my house? Come to my house. It's, it's not, it's, we're a mess so many of this, much of the time. And Jesus says, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to get down in the mud with you. I'm going to be with you and walk with you no matter what's going on. I'm going to heal you. I'm going I'm to speak to you. I'm going to be present with you in your mess, in the dirt, in the mud. Isn't that good news, people? Amen. Amen. So we're meant to notice all this, that this is pointing to Jesus, that he's sovereign over it all. No matter what mess is going on in your life, he is sovereign. He is Lord over it all. And so now we're going to look at the rest of the account, which really tells the story and brings us to the spiritual message of this. And I'm actually going to, at this moment, hand the mic over uh, because it's a long passage, and I decided you might be sick of hearing my voice. So I'm going to actually ask Paul to read just this passage. We're going to go from John 9, 13 to 34, if you're, fe- if you're following along. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he is our son. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, uh, we, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, well, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. What? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Thank you, Paul. Give him a hand. That was great. It's a great dialogue, right? I just had to have us read the whole thing because it's incredible. This back and forth, the Pharisees, the man. And the first thing that just strikes me is just when God does something amazing in your life, sometimes you just can't help but just shout it from the rooftops, right? I mean, here this guy, he's like, he, it's like he's lost all fear, <laughs> right? He's got this holy boldness, and he's taking it on with the Pharisees, right? I just love, he's like a boss here. I love it. He's like, you know, whether I'm a si- he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Like, I don't care who he is. <laughs> like, I'm blind. I was blind, and now I'm seeing. And then he talks back to the Pharisees, saying, I told you already. Why didn't you listen? Do you want to be his disciples, too? Like, all of that. He's just so bold. I love it. And he even makes a clear theological point to these theological experts, right? He says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then, of course, they throw him out, <laughs> right? They didn't like any of that, which leads me to the point that I made at the beginning, which is that this passage really is about spiritual blindness. Because here we have some people who could see perfectly well. The Pharisees, his parents, their physical sight was just fine, but they were blind to who Jesus was. And this man who was physically blind, he could see. He could see who Jesus was. And so this is a question that I'm going to be asking throughout the rest of our time together here. Are we blind? Not are we physically blind, but are we spiritually blind to who Jesus is? Do we have some blindness in us? And one way to think about spiritual blindness that maybe will make this a little bit closer to home is to think about blind spots. Because a blind spot is something that you don't see, but but you don't know that you don't see it, right? That's what makes it a real blind spot that you don't even, you're not even aware that there's something you should have been seeing until a light shines on it or you intently look for it. Like the example of a blind spot is when you're driving, right? And if there's a car just so to the right of the driver's or to the passenger side, right, and just a little bit back, then you look in your mirrors and you literally can't see that car. And so what do we know to do if we are, good drivers, right? We know we have to intentionally crane our neck and look to make sure there's no car in our blind spot. We have to look for the blind spot because we don't even see it. We don't even see that that car is there. And so there's several examples, I think, here of spiritual blindness, of blind spots here in this passage. And the first one I like to talk about is the parents. I'm always astonished by these parents. Because you've got to imagine that, um, you know, they, they, they do this whole thing, and we know he's, their, our, he's our son, and he was blind, and now, but we don't know how he sees, and go ask him, he's of age, you know, and they're afraid, right? They're afraid of what might happen if they kind of endorsed 
Jesus, but I don't get this. I mean, consider what it was like for them to be parents of a, of a man who was born blind. What we've talked about before in this culture, everyone would assume that there was something wrong with them, <laughs> that they had done something wrong, that they were cursed, you know, their family was cursed or something, and you would have thought with their son healed, they'd be like, we're vindicated, <laughs> you know? Uh, you would have thought they would have been shouting this from the rooftops, and instead, they're not. They're, like, afraid to even talk about it. Why? Fear. People-pleasing. Fear of everything changing. Being put out of the synagogue, losing their place in society. How heartbreaking that their fear was greater than their love for their son and the excitement over what was happening in his life. So they had a blind spot when it came to Jesus. No matter what Jesus did, and he couldn't have done anything better for this family than what he did. Okay, There was no greater thing he could have given them than this, and yet they still couldn't see him. They wouldn't see him, because to do that would yank them out of their comfort zone. It would take them away from everything they'd ever known in the synagogue, in the community, their religion. They simply just didn't have the courage to do that. And I think that's sometimes why we sit in our blind spots, isn't it not? Because we're afraid to see. Because it might cause some change in our life once we start to see our blind spots. We might have to acknowledge some things have to change. Now, the Pharisees also had big blind spots. Now, this is not really news to us if we know the story of the Gospels pretty well. We know that they tended to have blind spots, but this one is disheartening. This is crazy to me also. Here, this man, again, you know, born blind. It's a big deal. He gets completely healed. He can see. And what's the first thing they're worried about? That he did it on the Sabbath, <laughs> right? And again, you have to say, you know, I don't get it. Like, I can understand them wanting to vet the miracle, make sure it was truly happened, and was this man really the man, and was he really blind? Like, okay, fine, fine. Verify. That's good. That's good. But once they verified that the man really was born blind and now is seeing, how could they not be just like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I think that'd be pretty amazing if we were to witness that. And they knew that's what happened. It's not like they didn't know it happened. They knew it happened. And yet all they're worried about is the Sabbath and they're arguing and everything. And you have to say, wow, there's another blind spot. They simply could not see Jesus. It would be too much for them to acknowledge. And why is that? Probably their love of power, that legalism that they live under, and that's how life was, the Sabbath, fear of anything changing. For them to acknowledge Jesus as Lord would have taken away their power and authority, their privileged place in society, their voice. It would have humbled them, changed everything. It was too much. They didn't have the courage to face that either. Better to pretend it didn't happen, right? Like blinders on. Put your blinders on like a horse and just look straight ahead. Pretend it's not happening. So now the question that emerges from this passage that I promised I would ask you is, where are our blind spots? Do we have blind spots when it comes to Jesus, things we don't want to face? Because it might be too hard. And certainly, spiritually, we may have blind spots. We may be reluctant to come to him fully, to really make him Lord of our life, because, oh, when we do that, we know, you know, things are going to change. I don't mind believing in him and singing a few songs, but, oh, do I really want to bend the knee to Jesus and let him have the final word? Oh, that's hard. And so sometimes it's our spirit, our blind spot of that. We don't want, we, we prefer to be the, the Lord of our own life, right, than, than to let him be. So that's one blind spot. I think another place where we have 
lots of blind spots, many of us, is in our marriages. There's a lot of marital blind spots around. In part, you have a spouse in order to help you see your blind spots. Did you know that? That's why that wife or husband is sitting next to you, so you can see your blind spots. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. It's not so you can tell them their blind spots. That's not why you were put with them. Now, hopefully you're able to do that too. But it's actually so that you can hear from them and learn about your blind spots. That's why they're sitting there. That's why God gave you that particular spouse. You may think, well, if I had a different kind of spouse, they wouldn't worry about that blind spot. Well, that's why you got that spouse. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know that some of us are struggling some of us don't want to face some of our own blind spots. Um, but too often, we persist in our blind spots in our marriages and insist that all our problems are because of the other person. This is a very common thing in marital therapy, if there's anybody out here who's a therapist, is to have a couple come in, and both of them, their marriage is, uh, is having lots of trouble, but they're both equally convinced that it's all the other person's fault. Right? It's her fault. It's his fault. You know, they're too whatever, controlling, angry, upset, um, selfish, what, you know, you fill in the blank, but it's always the other person's fault, right? How many of us walk into marital therapy and say, my marriage is struggling, and I know it's partly me, so would you help me to change? Would you help me to find my blind spot? How many of us would walk into therapy that way? Boy, your therapist might just pass out, <laughs> might faint away. But boy, isn't that the way it should be, right? That we say, yes, I want to be humble and say, where's my blind spot? I want, I'm going to encourage you right now, if you're married in this room, to think about your marriage, to think about your spouse. And some of you are in a big struggle. You can, you can look at them and, like, giggle about this, right? You, I mean, some of you are in a struggle. Some of you are not so much in a struggle, but maybe you're just in a hard season. Some of you have just sort of settled into some patterns, and some of them are okay, and some of them aren't so great, but you're just used to them, right? Because it's been a lot of years. I wonder what would happen if you somehow today, this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow, said to your spouse, I'm sorry for ignoring my own blind spots. I am sorry for fixating on your blind spots and not looking at my own blind spots. Would you lovingly and kindly point out to me my blind spots and would you forgive me? What would happen if we had that conversation in our marriages? Am I asking too much? <laughs> is that too hard? Am I meddling? I think this is exactly, though, what the body of Christ should be like, right, in our marriages. This is the kind of humility that God is saying, I can do a healing work in your marriage if you'll start to work on these blind spots, if you'll have that humility toward one another. We have to let the light in. It's on us to let the light in. Just like you have to turn your head to see the, the, the car behind you, you have to do that. No one's going to remind you, and if you, if you don't, you're going to hit the car. So we have to be the one to look for our blind spots. So that's one. That's one. Now I'm going to go from, from a hard one to an even harder one. We also have intercultural blind spots. 
between different people, different cultures, from different places than we are, different points of view. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that a lot of the racial tension that has been taking place in churches, in the Christian world over the last couple of years, is partly because none of us want to acknowledge our blind spots. Okay, no matter who we are, we all have blind spots to other cultures because we we're not part of those cultures, so we don't even know what we don't know. Again, remember a blind spot, you don't know what you don't know. So we have things like white people saying stuff like, well, what's the big deal about your color of your skin? We have a free country. Everyone can succeed. You know, just do, just do it, right? That's something that, you know, you could say, and then you say, wow, that's a big blind spot because we're not listening to the experience of the people of color who we know who are telling us something different, that it is hard as a person of color in this country, and there's reasons why it's hard. In some ways, maybe we even make it harder. And so this is a blind spot, but guess what? White people aren't the only people that can have blind spots, right? People of color also can have blind spots, can make it things about race that weren't meant to be about race or assuming ill. All of us have trouble with this. All of us have trouble listening, hearing, and learning about something that's so different from us that we just don't know it because we don't know what we don't know. Do you understand? And so this is what the work of getting rid of our blind spots is all about. Help me to know what I don't know, Lord. Right now, you and I don't know everything there is to know about all the different people in this room, the cultures represented here, represented out in Greensboro. But oh, isn't it good for us to learn, to crane our neck and say, let me look into that blind spot. Let me see what it is I don't know. An American legal scholar, Cass Sunstein, put it out this way. He said, groups become more extreme and entrenched in their beliefs and polarized from others when members only exchange information that reinforces their views and filter out all else or never learn alternatives. Thus, they narrow their options and magnify each other's prejudices and misconceptions. This trend leads to blind spots. And boy, this doesn't, doesn't this describe our world today in decision-making? Blind spots in decision-making and extreme behavior, even terrorism. We see this today. If we only listen to one source of news or one group of people, if we're only in a bubble of people who think just like us about any issue out there in our world, if that's all we see, we are going to develop huge blind spots just like the Pharisees did. I mean, the Pharisees were in their own bubble, right? They weren't even allowed to talk to Gentiles, go to their house. So they had no idea what was happening out there. But they didn't know what they didn't know. And that's the scary part, right? We don't even know when we have blind spots. We think we're balanced and have all the right opinions about everything, but we all have blind spots. So let's, let us seek out voices unlike our own. At the conference I went to a few weeks ago uh, was the Association of Vineyard, uh, Black Association, what was it, the Vineyard? <laughs> the Vineyard uh, Gathering Association of Black Pastors and Leaders. So I got to go to this um, conference. It was really an honor for me to be able to go. They invited white pastors to come uh, and, and observe and be part of it. Um, and it was very interesting because one of the speakers at one point um, looked out at the room. He said, I, I see a few white faces here because it's mostly, of course, um, people of color in the room. And he said this very striking thing. It was Jamar Tisby who spoke at this thing. And he said, you tend to evaluate your actions surrounding fighting injustice based on your intentions rather than your impact. You say we meant well, but how effective were you? Your intentions may have been good, but what was your impact in fighting injustice in our world? And he called this the definition of a blind spot. 
And actually use the example of hitting a car that's in your blind spot, that somebody, even if you didn't mean to hit them, someone was still hurt by your good intentions. And if you keep hitting a car in your blind spot over and over again, they're what, they're, what are they going to do? They're going to take away your license, <laughs> right? You've got to learn. So all of this just says we have blind spots that we can intentionally seek to see. Now, lastly, there's other blind spots many of us may have. We may have emotional blind spots. Some of us have blind spots because we were wounded so badly as children or in our families of origin and in our life that we don't realize all the defense mechanisms we have up, right? That, that we put out when we get too close to someone, makes it hard for us to love people or be loved or be in community. All these things. I mean, we could go on and on. We could go around the room. Some of us may have blind spots because there were patterns in our family, right? They yelled all the time. They were always anxious. They were, you know, very separated from one another. Whatever those things were, and we grew up with that, and we just think that's normal. So it's a blind spot that, wow, family can be a different way. I can remember when my kids went off to college, and they'd be like, wow, I didn't know families could be like this. You know, they'd have a roommate or whatever that would tell them about the way their families were. It was so different from our family. They just had never experienced that before. So we don't even realize that we have these emotional blind spots, these emotional wounds, until we get into our own marriages or parenting or whatever that kind of brings it back up, right? So all of this, all of this, I just say, oh, shine your light, Jesus. He says, I'm the light of the world. And it is he who comes and shines a light on our blind spots and makes us a new creation, right? That's what he did to this man who couldn't see. He just came to him. And here's what's so interesting. That man never was even asking to be healed. Did you notice that? He wasn't like the paralyzed man who was asking to be healed. He wasn't. You know, chances are he was just content in his life. He didn't expect anything else. Content to sit in the suffering he had always known because it was comfortable, it was familiar. And so I want to say to us this morning, let's not sit comfortably in our little bubbles, in our, in our comfort zones, in our blind spots, but let's in our marriages and in our relationships with one another and in our, in our own spiritual and mental health, let us face the blind spots. Oh, Jesus, shine your light. Shine your light into our lives, Lord. We want to see you. So I'm going to bring this to a close as we get ready to go into communion. We're first called to see Jesus. This, the words of the hymn that everyone knows, Amazing Grace, was blind, but now I see that comes, of course, from this passage in John 9. And the writer of the Amazing Grace knew that this was not just about the man physically being able to see, but it was about the spiritual new birth that we can suddenly see. When you come to Jesus, it's like scales come off your eyes, right? So if there's anyone today here who's like, I don't know about this. I haven't done that. I haven't really seen Jesus. I've just, I've, I've avoided that particular blind spot. This is a day where you can say, Jesus, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And he will show himself to you. And new life begins. You can be like the man and say, I was blind, but now I see. And I think that's the testimony of many of us in here. Am I right? That we were blind. But now we see because Jesus is real. He's right here. And even if we've already come to faith in Jesus, there's still work to be done. Am I right? There's still some work to be done. And so there's still some blindness, some blind spots. Jesus came that we would have life and have it to the full. And so we want to let that light start to go into every part of our life. Last week, I asked for some people to stand if they wanted to surrender all of their life to Jesus. And I just want you to know that's not just a one-time thing. 
something we need to do all the time to keep surrendering all of ourselves to him. Come into all those dark places, Lord, and shine your light, and he can do a great healing work, whether it's in our marriages or our relationships or our ch- with our children, with our neighbors and our friends. This is why he came, to be the light, to open our eyes to him and to take away our spiritual blindness. So as we go into communion, the band can go ahead and come on up. Uh, I was praying about how do we go into communion from this, and um, God spoke to me pretty clearly, actually. Um, And I kept saying, no, no, no. (laughs) And he kept saying, yes, yes, yes. Um, Two verses came to mind. The first one is one that's often read around communion. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So I want us to examine our hearts and examine ourselves, take a moment for that. But then the second one is the one that kept coming up. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so I just really feel this morning that God is wanting to take care of some of our blind spots. He wants us to take care of some of our blind spots. So I want to encourage you, if you're here with your husband or wife today, that before taking communion, that you would turn to each other. And if God's bringing to mind some blind spots, or maybe they've been pointing out some blind spots that you keep saying, no, that's not a blind spot, um, that you would take this moment to say, I'm sorry for not looking for, not recognizing my blind spot. Would you forgive me? And to make that right, to say, let's work together on this. We all need help (laughs) to get past some of our blind spots, particularly in a marriage, but in anything. And so I encourage you to do that with your spouse today. It might be with your kids that you have a blind spot of some kind. There's something you need to make right with them, and you can do that if they're here. You could even text them if they're not or call them after service, but encourage you to make things right with them too, that I've had a blind spot about this part of your life that I've been trying to dictate or say or let the Lord speak to you what your blind spot might be there. It might be there's even someone here in the body with whom you've had a little bit of a struggle. Maybe there's been a difference of point of view, some, some assumptions, some, some difficulty, some tension. And I think the Lord is saying, this is a moment for us to take. Make it right. You don't have to agree on everything. Let's just say, I, I love you. I want to I learn from you. Wanna help me to take care of it. I'm sorry I've had a blind spot about you. So we're just going to take a couple minutes, and you're welcome to just quietly talk to your spouse, to quietly get up. And uh, as we're doing that, I'm going to ask the communion servers to just be ready. Come on up. Um, But I want us to just take a few minutes while the music's playing. We will even just sing quietly, you know, one verse of of the song. And then I will go into leading us into a time of communion. So let's allow the Lord to search our hearts.